you know, when I used to be up here every week, I got to get a lot of things off, so I need to get a few things off of my brain just before we get going. Um, we have ambassadors here today, in case you did not know that, from the Evanston Alliance Church, Lonnie and Teresa Canada, some dear friends of ours from hundred and like 127 years ago when we lived in Evanston. We knew them. I have to believe they came up today because they were going to get to see Luke and Leah's baby, but Leah did not deliver. So um, we'll be praying for that relationship in the coming weeks. Um, I guess, as Jason said, um, he had asked me a couple weeks or a couple months ago, I think now. He's wandering around. A couple months ago. Um, and he's like, which one do you want to do, and blah, blah, blah. And I picked this week because it worked out schedule-wise. And then I looked at the, the lesson, and I thought, oh, I can do that. So um, I may regret that. You, you may also. I told Lonnie and Teresa, there's like, oh, I hear you're preaching. And I said, yeah, it's Pastor Appreciation Sunday. And they said, it is. And I said, yeah, you'll appreciate the pastor so much better when I'm done. So... Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17 today. We have been working through parables about the kingdom of God in the book of Luke for um, 11 and a half months or something like that. I don't remember the actual time frame, but we've been working through these. Um, it's interesting because at this point in the story, Jesus kind of takes a break from parables and he just says, here's some things I need to say. So if you uh, have your Bible and you want to turn to Luke chapter 17, um, I'm going to begin reading at verse 20 and read through the end of the chapter. So Luke 17, verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given a marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as, in it, as it was in the days of Lot, they're eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord, he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So um, if you're, a, if you're a, a slot filler in her in your bulletin, I am going to do it. 
I have always resisted. It was like that whole year when we were looking for a pastor, I'm like, I'm going to do a fill in the blank, and I never did, and I toughed it out. And so we're going to give it a shot today. It's interesting because it looks to me at this point in Luke that everyone kind of seemed to be looking for the kingdom of God. I found this passage in my, uh, it's not really a passage, it's a verse, just in some of my regular reading from Mark 15. And um, as we move into the, full on into the Easter season, we're going to be reading a lot of stuff about the crucifixion and the resurrection, and it's great. But it's interesting to me that in Luke 15, 43, Joseph of Arimathea, he's the guy who had the tomb that Jesus ended up in for a couple days, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. So it seems like everybody was out there looking for the kingdom of God, but do we know what they were looking for? I guess the question is, do we know, or do we know what we're looking for? Two weeks ago, um, I was not here, but Chris preached, and he talked about the kingdom of God and what it is and how the kingdom of God is unseen. And if we're all looking for it and it's unseen, it must be fairly easy to miss it. And I think in this passage we're going to look at, Jesus has kind of taken a moment to say, this is the first coming. There's a second coming coming, and a lot of you are going to miss it. And so he wants to give some warnings. And so that's what we're going to look at today is the second coming of Christ. But I have to ask this question. And I have a prop. So how many people read these books? Can you see them? Tim LaHaye, Jerry Jenkins... Left Behind, who knows what year they came out, 1995. Who here was not born in 1995? (laughs) So you guys haven't read this yet. Okay. Um, Unfortunately, fortunately, um, most people at least started reading this series If you're interested, you can get the entire original 12-volume series for $215.95 at Amazon today, and they have them in stock. I checked. Or you can check this out from the church library, but we only have 11 volumes. The 12th volume, for those of you who don't know, is white, and it's when the resurrection happens, and... um, Apparently, whoever donated these either liked that one a lot or they, like a lot of people, never got that far. Because I will tell you, as having, having read the entire thing, by the time I got to about here, I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? So, um, they're interesting books, though. I'm not bashing Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, but this is not necessarily a lesson in theology, I did think about just reading portions from all these books to walk us through this, but I thought that may be a little bit. Um, So I said that 
that Jason offered this text to me, and I found it a little bit scary. I also found it a little bit challenging, but I found it definitely to be awesome. So um, let's pray real quick and get into the meat of what Luke had to say. Father, I just pray that you open our eyes. We thank you for this message. And Father God, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, and fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, in verses 20 and 21, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So the Pharisees here, they want to know, when will the kingdom of God come? Now, the other people sitting there are like, we already know when it's coming because he's right here and you're asking him. But what do we know about the Pharisees? We know that they were kind of the established order. We know that they kind of thought they had everything under control. And we know that they had a very definite expectation of how this was going to all go down. Right? They had this whole thing in their head of how, when the, when the Messiah comes, how it's all going to go. They almost seem to have a formula for determining who the Messiah is going to be. When some guy shows up, he's going to meet this criteria, this criteria, this criteria, and boom, we will declare him to be the Messiah. It, it kind of made me think a little bit about math. You know, there's like a formula. If you do this plus this times this, then you get this. But now there's like new math that some people call like common core. Common core. I don't know if you all heard me. Which is just the same math. You just look at it differently. But ultimately what it came down to, what the Pharisees here were living in was that this was a big, huge word problem. And even though they had a formula, they weren't paying attention to the clues that were in the problem to be able to solve the formula. But the Pharisees knew that they wanted to be absolutely, positively sure of the Messiah when he got here. Well, Jesus came along, and, he, and they're asking him, when is it going to come? When is it going to come? How is it going to happen? And he told them, none of this is going to happen that way. I'm just telling you guys up front, none of it's going to happen this way. The kingdom is going to come in ways that cannot be observed. It's interesting to me because were there signs that Jesus was the Messiah? Yeah. I mean, we all saw the signs. Everybody saw the signs, apparently, except for the Pharisees. There's a great passage in John chapter 12, um, beginning about verse 37. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, even many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the 
synagogue. So Jesus is wandering around doing sign after sign after sign. He's showing them, hey, here's all the scripture that points to me. And they still didn't see it. Because ultimately what the Pharisees were looking for is what they were expecting. Behold, he says, the kingdom of God, and I love that word behold, means pay attention. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. If you read enough um, commentaries, you will find out that everybody has a different opinion on what this means. Spiritually, in the midst of you, meaning that the kingdom of God is something in your heart. Physical could mean he's standing right here. Um, I kind of like to think that Jesus was maybe yanking their chain a little bit. That they were looking inside because I think ultimately the Pharisees expected that the Messiah would be a Pharisee. And we know that Jesus was obviously an outsider as far as the Pharisees were concerned. And it's important to remember not everyone had missed the Messiah, right? The disciples were there and they'd been listening and they had been following that kind of stuff. But before that, his mother Mary, Elizabeth, Simeon, Anna, John the Baptist, John's parents. There's countless people that they list in the Bible who knew what to look for, saw Jesus when he got there, and proclaimed him as the Messiah. It's important to remember here that although Jesus was addressing a question from the Pharisees, he was also aware that his disciples were standing right there, and there were other people standing right there listening. Jesus was coming up to teach his disciples some very important things about the days that were ahead. But first, he kind of wanted to give them a warning about how easy it is to miss the coming of the kingdom of God. That This is what happened to the Pharisees and can serve as a warning to us. And when you are looking or watching for the kingdom, don't fall into that trap. Your first lot lines to fill in, don't focus on your own desires and expectations. While Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about the coming of the Messiah for the first time, which they had already missed, he recognized that the disciples understood that he the first coming, but they needed to be prepared for what was to come. We sang a bunch of songs today about the cross, and we, the coming days we're going to have betrayal, arrest, a crucifixion, a death, a resurrection. But the same warning applied to the Pharisees as to the, to the uh, disciples. Don't let your own desires or expectations get in the way of seeing what the kingdom is actually doing. Things were going to get ugly. We know that. So he wanted to prepare them for it. The next passage, 22 through 25, and he said to his disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this or by this generation. So the Pharisees 
had already rejected the kingdom of God because they had rejected Jesus. But this wasn't true of the disciples, right? We know that the disciples loved Jesus. They followed him. They wanted to be near him. They almost always were near him. And Jesus knew that in spite of all this, that they were still a little confused about what their immediate future held. Despite him telling them several times, these are the things that are going to happen in the coming weeks, they were still a little confused, and maybe their expectations were getting in the way of their understanding. Jesus was concerned how much they were going to miss him. And they were going to miss him terribly, weren't they, when he was gone. And he was worried because of this how they were going to fare when the persecution and the rejection begins. He says, you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. In other words, you're going to want to be near me. You're going to want to see me. And not just see him, but they want to be near him. They're going to want the pain that they're feeling because he had died and he had left. They're going to want that pain to end. They're going to want things to go back to the way it always was. So in desperation, they would be tempted to follow anything that seems like the Christ. They were going to be looking for something that can provide the comfort, the joy, and the peace that they had when they were with Jesus every day. And in this, Jesus gives his second warning to his followers. Make sure you wait for the thunderstorm. Make sure you're waiting for the real thing. Don't settle for fakes. And he was very clear. There is not going to be any doubt when I return. Everybody's going to know it and everybody's going to see it. And then he just kind of nonchalantly throws in verse 25. But he first must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And so what Jesus is saying here, I think, is that he was going to have to suffer. He was going to have to die. There was going to have to be an end to the first coming in order for there to be a second coming. I find it interesting at this point. I'm just fascinated by how this whole thing played out. And in my mind, I just picture all these people wandering around and Jesus talking and him stopping and them talking. But it's probable that the Pharisees were still listening to this conversation. I don't think when Jesus said, and he said to his disciples, that all the Pharisees said, oh, he's not talking to us anymore. I think I'll leave now. I think they're still hanging out. And it's probable that they're still listening. And this conversation had to be a little bit confusing to them. But the next part was going to be downright terrifying if you're a Pharisee. 26 through 37. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying, selling, planting, and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the house stop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. 
Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So Noah and Lot had a lot in common. You get it? Lot. (laughs) They lived among the wicked, and their families, both of them at least in part, were saved from God's judgment. Why did no one else see the judgment coming? Again, were there signs? I mean, in Noah's day, there was a big big boat taking shape over the course of a lot of years that had to get people kind of thinking, I wonder what he has going on. And even in the case of, um, of Lot in Sodom, Genesis 19.14 says, So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, Get, or up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to... But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. So, you know, realistically, neither Noah nor Lot did anything very spectacular to warn people that there was judgment coming. But they lived their life differently, and people had to see that. And for um, the town city of Nineveh, that was enough. You know, Jonah came in reluctantly, and he kind of wanted the city to be destroyed. And he just went in and said, hey, repent, or you're going to be destroyed. And they all went, ah, and they repented, and Jonah went on. So so why didn't the people of Sodom or the people of the world see anything coming? So here's the question for you. When Jesus was talking about this in this passage, did he tell his disciples that, oh, well, it's no wonder everyone's going to miss it because they're living these horrible, wicked, evil lives and they're out murdering and robbing and pillaging and stealing. No. He said they were out living. They were eating. They were drinking. They were buying. They were selling. They were working and teaching. They were homeschooling. They were going to school. They were just living. And so what Jesus says in this passage to his disciples and to whoever else is listening, that in the time of Noah and Lot, they missed the coming judgment because they were preoccupied with their life. So Jesus gave this third warning to his followers. Don't let worldly preoccupations diminish desire for the kingdom. Verses 31 through 36, on that day, it's the guy on the house stop, and remember Lot's wife, and there's two in the bed, and there's two grinding, and one will be taken, is the classic definition of what we think of the rapture. When we read these books, or we read the passages in the Bible that are like, you'll be taken up into the air, this is what we're picturing, that you're going to be standing there next to someone, and they're just going to go. We need... We need to be ready at any moment and not have something I need to wrap up 
not have that one more thing I want to do, not have that one more place we need to go. Since we don't know when it's coming, how are we supposed to know when to be ready for it? And that's the question, and that's the challenge for all of us. So Jesus will come again, right? We all know that. Coming again. Jesus is coming again. There's a hundred songs. It's so tempting for us as Christians to let that become our fixation or let that become the focus of our life. And what Jesus is saying here is don't do that. I found a story. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, back in World War II, he was in prison for standing against Hitler. And um, apparently his fellow believers, they believed that Nazi or that Hitler was the Antichrist and that the end was imminent. And so some people asked him, why do you expose yourself to all this danger? Jesus will return any day and all your work and suffering will be for nothing. Bonhoeffer replied, if Jesus returns tomorrow, then tomorrow I'll rest from my labor. But today I have work to do. I must continue the struggle until it's finished. While we're waiting for this return, and we're all waiting for it, I mean, it comes up all the time. It'd be great if Jesus would come home now because I don't want to have to do blank or I'm tired of dealing with blank or whatever. I wish it would happen now. But while we're waiting, we need to keep Jesus' warnings in mind. We need to not have unrealistic expectations about what it's going to be. We don't need to be chasing fakes, and we don't need to get too preoccupied with our life. I mean, and I believe we're called to live. You know, we're called to study, and we're called to learn, and we're called to seek and pursue Christ. And I know that we are called to minister. This week, I don't know how many people are doing the weekly Bible reading plan that's in the bulletin every week. This last week in the Bible reading plan, we read the book of James. And the book of James is a great book about faith without works. Um, There's a great song, Faith Without Works is like a screen door on a submarine. Look it up. It's fantastic. Um, But that is our danger, and that is our calling. But the problem is that when the thing, when the calling or the task becomes the end we've missed it. We've missed the kingdom, and we're drastically, radically in danger of becoming Pharisees. So does that mean if that happens that we're not going to go to heaven? Does that mean that I'm not going to get raptured? Does that mean that I become Kirk Cameron? Well, a couple people saw the movie. Um, No, it does not. But what it could possibly mean is that I am missing an opportunity to share the kingdom. I'm missing opportunities to show the kingdom, and I'm missing opportunities to be the kingdom for a lot of people. It's interesting to me, my, my favorite verse in here, this is one of my new favorite verses, and it wasn't until two weeks ago. Um, verse 32, remember Lot's wife. It's three simple words. Oh, man, but it just pegs you right here. Because you got to know, you got to wonder, what was so important 
in Sodom that she looked back. God had called her, had saved her and her family from horrible judgment. And as they were leaving the city, her focus is on, what did I just leave behind? Verse 33, be willing to give up your life. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. It's just interesting to me that that's where we're called. When Jesus calls us, we go. We put it all behind us. When he calls us out of judgment, don't look back. Remember Lot's wife. Now, verse 37 has given me more headaches, has given me so much, so much to think about. And they said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Again, uh, go online, look up Bible commentaries, and type in Luke 17.37, and you will get 4,000 different answers, ranging from, um, it basically means where there's smoke, there's fire, which is, um, hey, disciples, it should be obvious to you when how this is all going to take place. Um, <clears throat> on the other end of the spectrum, they believe that it was a prophecy by Jesus about Rome destroying Jerusalem because Rome is an eagle, and some translation have eagles instead of vultures. And I don't know for sure. But I like to think, after reading everything, that basically what Jesus was saying was, I've already answered this question, so we're going to just move on. So that's my cop-out for where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Um, Okay, who here ever played hide-and-seek when they were younger, right? We all played hide-and-seek. You go out. You do, um, I mean, when I was a kid, and now there's probably an app for this, but when I was a kid, you do eeny, meeny, miny, mo to figure out who's going to be it, and then that person goes and does this and counts to 100 or 50 or whatever you decide on, and everybody else goes and hides. It's a super fun game, um, and then when the seeker, the person who's looking, gets to 100 or whatever, what do they yell? Ready or not, here I come. So I got to thinking, this is a lot like the second coming of Jesus. How the second coming of Christ is like hide and seek. Number one, he, surely, he was surely coming. Right? Because you knew when he yelled that, someone's coming looking for you. Number two, he was coming when he was ready. You didn't know how fast the guy, you know, because I remember you get pretty fast at counting. What do you mean, you know? But then you have the one kid who's like, one, two, three. But you know that he was coming when he got ready. Third, he was coming whether you were ready or not. And fourth, if you were not ready, then you would pay the consequences. 